0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Anyway, hey, we are in our third week of the uh, series we're calling Overload, Restoring Order to Overloaded Lives. And I got a, I've got a confession to make, uh, and it is this one. Today's message is basically the third part of a three-week introduction to the series. Uh, we, we're, we're, if you've gotten any help at all so far, it's God's grace. Next week, we really start drilling down on uh, the issues in God's Word that will help us actually restore order to our inner lives, to our overloaded lives. And so uh, uh, we'll come back to that in, in just a moment. But today, we want to talk about slowing down. I came across an article. In USA Today, and here's what the writer said. Just a couple of sentences uh, caught my attention. Here they are. Today, people are souped up, stressed out, and overscheduled. In this brave new world, boundaries between work and family are disappearing. Everyone is mobile, and every moment of the day is scheduled with daycare, school, after-school activities, and 10-12-hour to work days. This pressure cooker lifestyle is so rare that anthropologists are now studying it to see how it will affect us. Now, my response to that was, really? Do we really need the anthropologists? I mean, don't couldn't you tell me how it's affecting you right now? Uh, yeah, I don't think we need a bunch of scholars to take a bunch of time off and sabbaticals and write dissertations on how this hurried lifestyle is affecting us. I mean look at us, and that uh, we are stressed out, worn out, uh, tired, uh, harried, hurried, uh, habit-controlled uh, people. Man, Lord, help us. You know, that's, that's the point of the sermon today is, Lord, help us so we can pray now and go home um, <laughs> if He'll just do that. Uh, but I did find in God's Word at least four big uh effects uh, of the hurried lifestyle. And uh, they're evident in my life when my life is too hurried. They're evident in your life when your life is too hurried. And and here's the first one. When my life is too hurried, number one, I feel stress. I feel stress. Uh, The verse here, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 6. Some of you have never read Song of Solomon. Uh, believe it or not, you said, uh, I wonder why he's never preached on that. Have you ever read it? Not many of you, you know why I haven't. It's just you've just got to have a select audience to uh, walk through that book. Now, everybody will go home and read it, hopefully. I mean, again, like I say sometimes, what are you going to do when you get to heaven and Solomon walks up to you and says, hey, how'd you like my book? So you might want to read that one. But it's interesting, in the very introduction, first few verses uh, of Song of Solomon, the young woman who was the lover of Solomon in, in this book uh, says that there were people who were making her work too hard. And here's the quote. Let's pop that back up on the screen, would you? She said, I had no time to care for myself. Wow. No time to care for my. Now, you know, it's not supposed to be that way. God didn't create you. God didn't create me to live in such a fashion that we have no time to care for ourselves. Uh, You know, when you don't have any time to care for yourself and things pile on at home and at work, stress piles up. Stress comes. That's the first effect. Second is this one. When life is too hurried, I lose joy. And the faster you move, the less time you have to enjoy the life God created you to enjoy. Job himself said in Job chapter 9, verse 25, My days go faster than a runner. They fly away without my seeing any joy. Now, that's not all. When my life is too hurried, not only do I feel stressed, not only do I lose joy, but number three, I'm unproductive. I am not Productive. Now that's uh, that seems like it wouldn't work that way. This is counterintuitive, right? I mean, you you might be asking, well, Pastor, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I slow down, if I lower the pace, how is it that I could possibly get more done? Yet that's precisely what God's Word says. Take a look at Proverbs twenty-one, five, right there on the screen. Careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. Hurry and scurry puts you far behind. And in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2, the Bible says this A person in a hurry makes mistakes. A person in a hurry makes mistakes. I feel stress, I lose joy, I'm not productive. And here's the fourth effect. When life is too hurried, I can't hear God. I can't hear God. Uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 46:10. Quoting God, be still and know that I am God. Now what he's saying here is how we can know Him, how we can hear from Him. I mean, when, we, when our life is too hurried, we cannot hear from the person that we need to hear from the most. We can't hear from God. He said, if you want to hear from me, slow down. If you want to hear from me, be still. Steal your heart, steal your emotions, uh, steal your body. Be still, and you'll, you can hear from me. Uh, I can't remember the address of the story. First or second Kings, I believe, back over in the Old Testament. We find the story of the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah had just had a huge spiritual, literal mountaintop experience on Mount Carmel where he, the lone prophet of Jehovah, the God of the Bible, uh, did a face-off with 400 prophets of the false god Baal. Uh, he was, was worshipped by the king and by the queen uh, of Israel at that time. And, um, and Elijah was the lone guy saying, no, 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 big standoff. And uh, there was a power move by God uh, where he displayed his power that he was the one true God. Well, in response to that, Jezebel, the queen, threatened the life of Elijah and so he ran. He ran in, into the wilderness. Uh, the Bible says he got by a brook. He spent 40 days in solitude, kind of got depressed, 40 days in solitude. And then on the 41st day, of, after waiting on God, all of a sudden it says he was in a cave and a, a, a strong wind came, but God was not in the wind. And then an earthquake came and God was not in the earthquake. And then a, a, a fire came, and, but God was not in the The fire. But then God spoke. How? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you know. You've read the story. And then, in a still, quiet voice, God spoke. Interesting. After 41 days of slowing down, 41 days of solitude, quietly, God spoke. Uh, God can use a cosmic two by four to get our attention. Maybe he does sometimes, maybe maybe he doesn't. But most of the time, he will not be rude. He won't make us listen to him. He will not interrupt. Most of the time. Now he loves us and he'll come after us because he loves us and sometimes do that. But most of the time, if if you're his child and you want to hear him, he says, Slow down. Get still. Be quiet. And you can hear from me. When life is too hurried, I'm stressed out. I lose joy. I'm not productive. I can't hear God. So what do we do about it? We slow down. Now, the problem is not that we don't know that, right? The problem is, how do we do it? How do we do it? We've been saying forever, oh, I need to slow down. I need to cut back. But we don't. How do we go about it? Uh, Dallas Willard, the, the, the um, uh, minister and philosopher and, and writer of the Christian spirituality, I recommend that you read his books. I, reading him one day and he came across this, just this quote about how to best walk with God and he said this, Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That was so impactful that I printed it out and I got it stuck on the wall, right right by my chair and desk where I write sermons. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Well, the Bible gives us some insights on how to do that. And so we're going to think of the word slow. Say it with S-L-O-W, S-L-O-W, slow. Uh, and, and let that be handles, four handles uh, that you can hang these truths on to help you remember what to implement. So here's the first one. If I, You can eliminate hurry from your life, first of all, if you will, S, search your heart. Now, honestly, we're starting with the thing that we resist the most. But if we don't start here, we can forget the rest. We search our heart. If I am serious about eliminating hurry from my life, if you are serious about eliminating hurry from your life, then you and I are both going to have to deal honestly with what is driving us. I mean, why do we, what's, we have to look at our, examine our motives and our values. Now, we are a, we are a mixed bag of motives and we have a hard time sorting them out ourselves. But But to say, Lord, why am I behaving like I'm behaving? Why am I in a hurry? What's driving me? We have to ask big questions. What motivates us? We have to search our heart. And we search our heart by asking questions, asking powerful questions. Like, for example, why is it that I am in such a hurry? And we keep asking that until we get an answer. We ask, what what is it precisely that I'm trying to do? Now, what, what is it? Why am I, what is it that I'm pursuing that makes me behave in such a destructive fashion? Uh, we ask, what's driving me? We ask, what, what am I looking for? What am I depending on? What or who to make my life good, to make my life uh, happy and right and clean and, and beautiful? Uh, you see, if, if hurry is the primary characteristic of our lives, then it says this about us, something's wrong in here. Something is not in order in our heart, in our soul, in our, in our spirit. It's an indication that at the very core of our being, we need transformation. It's not a time management problem. It's not a money problem. It's not a work problem. It's a spiritual problem. Something is not right with our spirit. It's the core of our being. It all starts with the spiritual. Now, spiritual means the ability to relate to God. And that we're not relating to Him rightly. We're not thinking rightly about Him, believing rightly about Him, and relating rightly with Him. If we are driven... If we are in too much of a hurry, so the good thing about recognizing that we're in a hurry is that we're, we, we can make a good diagnosis. Ah, oh, then something's not right in my spirit with God. I'm not rela- believing rightly, nor relating rightly to the God of the Bible. And so we, we ask the question: What is it that why am I constantly pushing for more? Why am I pushing for more experiences, more activities on the schedule, more money in the bank, more thrills and chills? Uh, you know, what is it that's driving me to have more and more? If we're not satisfied, the indicator is this. It's the same thing that the old Christian writer wrote in the gospel song years ago. Hear here are the words, Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Say so, yeah, I know that. What else? No, it's not Jesus plus something, right? It's Jesus plus nothing, nothing, nothing. No one else. Uh, n- n- nothing. Not not our effort. Not our not our money. Not this. Not that. Oh, if I only had that, and you know, Jesus plus nothing. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul, and He's enough. If you have Jesus, if you are walking with Him, He is enough. The Spirit of Christ... The power that He made available through His death on the cross, atoning for your sin and my sin, and His resurrection from the dead, proving that He was who He said He was, uh, that He had the power that He claimed to have, the power to forgive, the power to give us a brand new heart on the inside, the power to reconcile us to God, the power to enable us to walk daily under His care and supervision and enjoy His presence in our lives. Uh, The the, the power that He has to give us not only life here, but life eternally so He takes away our fear of death and dying, uh, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. If, if we don't hang on to Him, then we will confuse our worth with our work. And we'll keep comparing how am I doing with that guy? How am I, how's my company doing? How's my church doing with that church over there? I mean, we get Pastor, same thing. I fight the same kind of stuff. We will find ourselves comparing and seeing how we are doing. It's the spiritual version of keeping up with the Joneses. And it is destructive. Now, some of you would say this right now. Pastor, I, I, uh, I know you're supposed to say, that Jesus is the answer. I know you're supposed to say that. I'm not surprised at that. In fact, I would be disappointed in you as my pastor if you didn't say that. I mean, it just sounds like what we're supposed to say. But, but, I, but I, don't, I don't think that's it. I think it's simpler than that. I think I just need to clear my schedule. Well, clearing your schedule is a good thing. But let me, let me speak to that just a second. Clearing your calendar... Clearing your schedule is a a superficial band-aid approach to the external. And if we don't start with searching our heart and having a transformation of the heart, then in a week, we can clear the schedule. A week later, you know, seven scheduled demons have jumped in and filled it all back up with stuff that really doesn't matter, right? How many times have you done that? A bazillion? That's not it. That's not it. We begin, if you want to eliminate hurry from your life, if I want to eliminate hurry, I begin by doing the slow, (laughs) hard work of searching my heart. Searching my heart. God, why am I the way that I am? Uh, Take a look at this. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6 says this, It's better to have only a little with peace of mind than be busy all the time. Proverbs 14, 30 says this, a relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. Jealousy rots it away. Now, jealousy is another, you can put the word, uh, to be jealous of something or someone, it's back to that comparing. How am I doing? How am I doing with, compared to them or them or them or him or that company or that organization or that team? How are we doing? Mm, mm. Jealousy rots away the length of a man's life. Uh, So, search your heart, check your motivations, ask yourself the hard questions. If you want to slow down, eliminate hurry from your life, begin with S, search your heart. L stands for this, the next activity, learn to say no. Now many of us are addicted, you know our church is a church full of addicts, Uh, many of us are addicted to speed, now not the drug, the pace, the pace of life. Actually, we're addicted to the, the natural drug that the pace of life can produce, adrenaline. We like the adrenaline rush from having a certain high level of activity because it gives us the false feeling of importance. I must be important because I'm so busy. I must be important because I'm so tired. I must be important because people can't get in touch with me. I must be important. Uh, It gives us; it is a false sense, but it does give us a feeling of importance. So we have to go back to the question: I can't say no. Well, I'm back to searching my heart. Why can't I say no? So there's a reason. Uh, There are many reasons. Uh, Sometimes it's because we are immature, and what I mean by that is we we have not matured to the point that we think. In 1977, Allison and I sat in the room with about 40 other adults with a man by the name of Dr. Max Barnett. Any, any uh, University of Oklahoma alumni in here? or fan- Yeah, you don't count. You raised your hand in the last service. Who else? You got, they'll admit it? Yeah, University of Oklahoma. Okay, okay. Max Barnett was the campus minister and the chaplain on the football team for about 300 years. He was there forever. He was, he was an institution in himself. Magnificent, magnificent man of, of God. And he uh, sat in a room with some of us talking about the spiritual life, and he told this story. Uh, again, remember 1977. I don't know what the population of Norman, Oklahoma is now, but he will reference it. In this story, he said that a young businessman asked for a a conversation with him, came to him and said, Max, I'm distraught. He said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, I had one night. I had one night free in my weekly schedule, and I just gave it away. He said, well, why would you do that? He said, well, there was this thing and this civic responsibility and, and, uh, and, you know, it needed to be done, and nobody else would do it. He said, so now what you're telling me is that you had now you had one night free in your weekly schedule and there was this you can spirit this uh, civic responsibility of some sort and they ask you to do it because nobody else would do it and you gave that time away yeah he says now okay well there are se- approximately 75,000 people who live in Norman Oklahoma the young man said right he said and so you're, what you're telling me is that 74,999 of those people didn't think this was worth their time. Well, I guess. He says, so if, you, if 74,999 people don't think this is worth doing, do you think you should do it? The guy said, well, I, never, I, I didn't think about it that way. He said, right, you didn't think. The ability to think is called maturity. Bob Beal, I've mentioned this a few weeks ago, uh, a writer that I recommend, defines maturity as the ability to place process between opportunity and decision. The ability to place process, process, a, a way of thinking, a way of analyzing, a way of processing before we respond to the opportunity. The ability to put process between opportunity and decision. And so sometimes uh, we don't we don't do uh, uh, we don't say no because we are immature and we're impulsive. Instead, Proverbs twenty verse twenty five says it this way: An impulsive vow is a trap. Later, you'll wish you could get out of it. So, what do we do? Well, remember, in in walking with God, we're to train ourselves. To be like Jesus. Uh, Paul wrote in his writings to Timothy, Train yourself for godliness. Not try to be godly. Train yourself. Because you can, you can do by training what you cannot do, now do by trying. That works in every realm of life. You can do by training what you cannot now do by trying. So let's train ourselves to slow down. Let's train ourselves to say, no. Here's a spiritual exercise that I recommend. Uh, Once a month or so, or if you need it often, ramp it up to once a week, have a day where you practice fasting from hurry. Fast from hurry. That's kind of a funny way to remember it. Fasting, not speed, but the Bible exercise of fasting. Fasting is when when you abstain. From something uh, in order to gain uh, spiritual depth. Uh, it's not always a negative thing, it's not always a painful thing. Uh, so we fast from hurry. Here's what I mean by that. On that day, say no to hurry, say eliminate efficiency, uh, take your watch off. It may work best on your day off or on your Sabbath day to do this, first of all. But um, for example, on that day, um, if you, um, if you go shopping, um, park in the parking space at the far end of the parking lot, as farthest from the door as you can get it, and walk slowly into the store. And after you've, after you've uh, finished shopping or you've got your goods, and you go to the checkout counter, take a moment and look at all, like at the grocery store, check all the lines and get in the longest line. Now i got a reaction from that one. (laughs) Get in the longest line. Uh, When you leave and you get in your car and you stop at a traffic signal, uh, get in the lane that's got the big dump trucks in it. Or the the, the lane that's got the the most cars in the lane. Uh, You just go through your day intentionally being slow eliminate efficiency, say no to hurry, say no to activity, say yes to living your day as slowly as you possibly can. So if we're going to learn to say no to speed and yes to slow, if we're going to eliminate hurry from our lives, S stands for search your heart. L stands for learn to say no. The third action is this one. When life is too hurried, then also learn to obey the fourth commandment. This book, the Bible, is God's Word to us, God's written revelation of Himself and His ways to us. We learn, we we meet Him in this book, we learn of Him in this book, Uh, and there He also gives us principles, truths... Uh, by which He wants us to live, and He wants to enable us to live that way. Uh, Big principles, some of them starting with God's big ten list, top ten list, the ten commandments. Some pretty big things in there. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall shall not murder. You shall not lie. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet. Uh, And right up there in the top ten, we find Exodus chapter 20, verse 9 through 10. Take a look at it. You have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to me. He says, rest. It's one of the top ten. So every, if you want to slow down, every seven days, take a God-designed day off. For most of you, this day of the week is the best day. And so uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this right now. This is such an important issue that we're going to take one whole Sunday and come back to this one toward the end of the series. But uh, just know, if you want to eliminate hurry from your life, begin to practice Sabbath rest. It's one of God's great gifts to you and to uh, me. Now some of you say, but pastor, I feel guilty when I relax. Okay, let's step it back all the way back up to search your heart. Why? Why? That, that that means. Then we ask now, why would that be? Why? that's not that's weird. Why would that? Why would I feel guilty? What is in me that's wrong that causes me to feel guilty when I am obeying God and resting? Well, something's up. We need we need God's help. We need Him to straighten us out. And uh, observing Sabbath rest helps. Look at Psalm 127, verse 2. It's useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your fingers to the bone. Don't you know that He, God, enjoys giving rest to those He loves? Well, He does. Again, if if I remain guilty, then that's an indicator that I am not thinking rightly, about God and who He is, and I'm not relating rightly to Him. I'm looking for something or someone in addition to Jesus to cleanse my life, to beautify my life, to make it right, to make it good. Uh, it, it, we, we're we off base here. God, help us. God, help us. So if I want to eliminate hurry from my life, if you do, we search our heart. We, L, learn to obey, uh, learn to say no. O, we obey the fourth commandment. And then here's a fourth action. The W stands for wait for God's timing. Don't you love the word wait? Wait a minute. Wait. Kids, don't you love it? Hey, Mom, can I? Dad, can I? Wait. Mm. Mm. Uh, I have a friend one day. I was working with him in Texas, and I was leaving at uh, work for the day, and he was standing at the back door. His car was in the shop, and he's waiting for his wife to come by and pick him up. He's staring out like this. I came by and said, hey, I'll see you tomorrow. He didn't say, have a good day. I'll look forward to seeing you. Thank you. He looked at me and he said, there's two things I hate worse than anything in the whole world, and both of them are waiting. <laughs> Is that you? Some of us just can't sit still fast enough. Uh, is that if, if if I can't wait on God again, where do we go? All the way back to S. Why, why, why can't I be content to wait on God? Hey, if discontentment is is uh, one of the causes of hurry, then her twin sister is impatience. Impatience is basically a lack of trust in God. We don't trust his timing. We don't trust that he's going to do the right thing. And we don't trust that he's going to do it in time. We don't trust that he's going to do the right thing. And we don't trust that he's going to do it on time. We don't trust that he has our best interest at heart and that he's going to do the right thing and we do not trust that he has the ability to do it at the right time. We don't tr- we think we know best not God. We think the child knows best not the father. And I mean we go all the way back to that uh, old television show that was Great Theology in the title, Father knows best. God the Father knows best. He knows best. And he's trying to teach us. I have your best interest at heart. I know what's best. So when I say go, go. When I say slow, slow. When I say no, no. When I say wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. It's better. Wait for God's timing. And so we learn this. This is not something that comes natural for us, right? No, impatience comes natural. So guess, just guess how you learn to wait on God. Guess. Wait. He gives you all these opportunities to wait. And so, uh, you know, when the, when the children of God were in the desert, they'd been set free from Egypt. God's Moses, you know, taking them to the Holy Land, to the Promised Land. You remember that? Does anybody remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Charlton Heston. Um. You know, they would get to a place in the desert and God would be trying to teach them a lesson and they would fail the lesson and he'd say, okay, take another lap around Mount Sinai and come, let's come back and let's try it again. Oh, no. Okay. Take another lap around Mount Sinai. Let's come back. We'll try it again. You know, that's the way he operates with it. He wants us to learn the lessons. He wants us to learn him and enjoy him and his company and uh, so he, give, he puts us in the laboratory of life and he creates scenarios where we have to wait. Some of you are waiting for a child. It's not come. Some of you are waiting for a spouse. Some of you are waiting for a better job. Some of you are waiting to get well. Will all those things happen? I don't know. I don't know. But see this not as a... Not as just a bad thing that's happened to you, but oh, I get to learn to wait. And He ripens your soul. And He deepens you and gives you the ability to slow down and know Him. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Says this: God has given them a desire to know the future. He has had, he's, It's not. It's okay to want to know the future, but He just will not always show it to us. He does everything just right and on time. I like that. Just when you think of God, just start saying, "Just right and on time." He does everything just right and on time. That'd be a great thing to meditate on and pray for as you wait. As some of you are in God's waiting room right now this week. He does everything just right and on time. But people can never completely understand what he's doing. The prophet Habakkuk, a little book way tucked way back over in the Old Testament. I recommend that you read it. Get a modern translation and read it. Magnificent book. Uh, Habakkuk was a prophet and he had some big questions from God. He was disturbed about some things that he didn't understand. He was kind of ticked at God and he kind of ticked at the situation and he kept asking these questions and then he said, you know, when's this this thing going to be made right? When's this stuff going to happen? All this stuff you say is going to, you know, when, when, when? And he was kind of hurry, 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 God. And here's what God said in chapter 2, verse 3. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Pray with me. Lord, we need your help with these things. Because we do not naturally search our hearts. We do not naturally say no to things we should say no to. We do not naturally obey your command to take a God-designed day off every seven days. Lord, we, we do not naturally wait on you. Lord, help us. We're discontent. Lord, help us. We're impatient. Lord, help us. We're jealous and comparing. Uh, Lord, help us. Help us instead to be still and know that you are God. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.